Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing the murders of four young adults. The details may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning, so please do not listen if you're sensitive to this topic. Anyone charged is considered innocent until proven guilty by the American justice system. Everything discussed, unless released by law enforcement, should be considered speculation. Hey guys, before we get into this chapter, we just want to provide a quick update with new details. These new details may contradict some of the information discussed in this episode as it was recorded before the new information was released. I am currently recording this the night before this episode is scheduled to drop, so this is breaking news. We just found out that the 911 call, which has received a lot of speculation, was made by Ethan's best friend. Ethan's best friend will not be named here, but it was the best friend that made the discovery of both Xana's and Ethan's bodies. So the friend took Ethan's pulse and called out to get 911 on the phone. The call was likely made on one of the surviving roommate's phone, who we refer to as DM in this podcast. Up until now, we have heard that 911 was called to the scene due to an unconscious person. Many sources are confirming that dispatch has just said this is a standard protocol to just get people to the scene. Um, So there's no need to get caught up on the unconscious person detail. We are still not sure who discovered Maddie and Kaylee. What is interesting, though, is that the friends came over to the home and then 911 was called. Maybe the friends were coming over to get brunch or hang out or whatever it may be, but we do know it was Ethan's friend who made the discovery and it is absolutely heartbreaking to learn this. Without further ado, let's get into the pre-recorded chapter. Today's true crime story is our very first episode. We will be telling stories of true crime that have been solved, but sometimes we will be covering cases that are in the news and that are unresolved, meaning there may be an arrest, an upcoming trial, or some kind of resolution. So this is one of those stories. We have four innocent young people who were brutally murdered in Moscow, Idaho. There's still a lot of speculation in the media and on social media about the victims, survivors, and the suspect. While there has been an arrest, this case is far from resolved. Deciding to cover this case as our first episode is based on our shared interest in the case, but also to try to keep people aware of the facts. We will tell you this story, try to dispel some of the rumors, talk about our own theories, and I like to think that we use our common sense when researching cases, and this case could use some common sense consideration on this platform. As I had said before, there's a lot of speculation surrounding this case. If there's something that we talk about that is speculation, we will tell you that it is speculation. When we bring up facts, we will tell you the source of those facts, which 99% of the time is either going to be law enforcement or the family of the victims. What we won't do is help spread false information, try to pass our own thoughts off as facts, or try to mislead our listeners in any way. So without further ado, let's get to know these beautiful young people who were taken far too soon. Okay, so Ethan Chapin... He was a triplet with a brother and a sister. He was born in October of 2002 in Seattle, Washington. He was the first of his triplets to be born at 4.43 p.m., followed by his sister at 4.44 and his brother at 4.45. He was a lifelong athlete who loved the NFL and country music. 
Ethan started at the University of Idaho in 2021 and joined the Sigma Chi fraternity. Both of his siblings also attend the university, and his brother was in the same fraternity. Ethan was majoring in recreation, sport, and tourism management at the university. A couple of weeks after this horrific murder, friends of Ethan planted tulips around the Skagit Valley tulip fields where Ethan worked before he went off to university. One of his friends said, he made everyone's life a little bit better no matter what, and I just think that something like that shouldn't be forgotten. In the spring, they will bloom yellow and white to symbolize joy and peace. The gardens are being called Ethan's Smile because of the positivity that he radiated. They will serve as a living, loving reminder of a life taken away before it could fully bloom. The Ethan's Smile bulbs will also be sold to the public. You can check out the Tulip Family Farms Facebook page for more information. And we can post that to our Facebook page as well. So you can also go to True Crime Story Podcast and it will be on there. Oh, that's nice. Uh, okay, Zana Kernodal, who is also Ethan's girlfriend, was born in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, on July 5th, 2002. Zana grew up in Post Falls and was a talented gymnast as a child. She attended Post Falls Middle and High School and went on to attend the University of Idaho, where she majored in marketing and was an active member of Pi Beta Phi. Zana also had a part-time job working at the Mad Greek restaurant in Moscow which will come into play later on in the story. Uh, now, Kaylee Gonzalez was born in Concord, California on June 8, 2001. Around the age of one, Kaylee and her family moved to North Idaho, where she continued to blossom into the most beautiful, authentic, social, and funny person they had all ever met. Kaylee went to Lake City High School before attending the University of Idaho with her best friend, Maddie. She joined the Alpha Phi sorority and was studying to become an elementary school teacher. By all accounts, Kaylee was set to graduate in December and had begun moving out of the Moscow rental house to start a new job in Texas. And last but not least, I'd like to tell you about Madison Mogan. Madison, or Maddie May Mogan, was born on May 25, 2001 in Eugene, Oregon. Maddie spent her first two years of life in Oregon and then moved with her family back to North Idaho area where her parents grew up. Back in Idaho, she went on to have a wonderful childhood. She attended Winton Elementary and then went on to join the Coeur d'Alene Charter Academy until she made the decision, after writing a very decisive letter with Kaylee to their parents of the reasons, to enroll in LCHS where she would graduate. Maddie was so excited to attend the University of Idaho. Once there, Maddie made the Dean's List every semester. She joined Pi Beta Phi and met some of her closest friends, all the while having her sister Kaylee close by and the love of her life, Jake. So some points of interest to remember as we move forward. Um, Kaylee had recently moved out of the rental house in Moscow. She had returned to show off her new Land Rover to Maddie and to attend a party Friday night. Um, Zana and Maddie both worked at the Mad Greek restaurant. This is one of the main places that offers vegan options. The suspect is a vegan, mm-hmm. um, so okay. there's a lot of speculation out there that that's where he crossed paths with um, Maddie and Zeno. Oh, so okay, so Koberger was vegan. Uh, yes, that's oh. his family has said that. Oh, Not wow. his parents, but I think his aunt had said that. that okay, he was a no, very that's... strict vegan. Okay, um, Ethan did not live at that rental house, rather in the fraternity that was less than a block away. Friends said that he would usually come home between 3 and 5 a.m. on the nights that he spent with his girlfriend, Zena, because it was actually against frat rules to stay out all night long. 
Kaylee's dog Murphy was in the house um, at the time of the crime, but he was behind a closed door of the bedroom used by Kaylee when she did live there. It's unknown if her bed and belongings were still in the room or if Kaylee intended to sleep in that room with Murphy that night or if the dog was put in that room for some other still unknown reason. Yeah, so Kaylee's dog was in the house, but in a bedroom unused. Right. And they don't know if the dog was put in there probably before, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, he would have had probably blood or something on him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, or something showing blood going into the room, something. Some kind of thing, because, yeah. And the rooms aren't that big, so I would imagine that, obviously. For sure. But my question is, is maybe did the girls put the dog in there to hang out together in the other room? Mm. Or like In my mind, I go back to college days where, okay, so we get home and we're drunk. Um, I've already taken my dog out to go pee and stuff. Now I'm going to bed. Her bed might have still been in there. And she's probably maybe intending on sleeping in there with the dog. Went in to talk to Maddie about... The phone calls that they were trying to make and ended up passing out in the bed by mistake. Dog was it stolen. confirmed that they were drinking that night? Do we know? Um, well, I mean, it's speculation, obviously, because law enforcement hasn't yeah. said for sure. Well, but on if, that grub truck video, you can clearly see they're both having a really good time. And, and they're up late. And there's that fella at the grub truck, too, that news media talked to afterwards that did say that they were both very intoxicated. So it's speculation, but I think... I think it's more than likely that they had been drinking and it was very late at night. And I mean, it could have just been Kaylee in visiting with Maddie and, you know, passed out unintentionally in the same bed, something like that. Yeah. And when you go out, you sometimes have to lock your dog up. So I'm even thinking maybe they weren't home for all that long and the dog had been locked up from when they were out of the house. One of the neighbors, um, and I don't want to get into him too much because he's already been put through the ringer in this case. But one of the neighbors did say that um, he heard them outside with the dog, like letting the dog go pee and stuff okay. like that around two in the morning. So pretty much right when they got home from the corner club. Um, there are two additional roommates who live at the Moscow rental house at 1122 King Road. Um, we're going to refer to them as BF and DM. Uh, Neither one of those girls were harmed and neither have spoken publicly about the evening or day after the murders. From what we do know, both ladies are traumatized and they have gone into kind of hiding to stay away from the public eye and both are cooperating with police. So on the night of November 12th, Zaina and Ethan were seen at a frat party. A neighbor's security camera confirms that they returned to the house at 11 or sorry, 1.45 a.m. Maddie and Kaylee were seen on the security camera at the Corner Club, which is a popular bar with residents and students in Moscow. The timestamp on the camera is thought to be a little off, but the girls were also seen um, on Twitch live stream at a food spot called The Grub Truck. Mm -hmm. Uh, The girls left the Corner Club with a male friend who was also seen on both security cameras. Now, bits of a conversation were picked up by a camera while the trio walked from the Corner Club to The Grub Truck. That has caused a lot of unnecessary speculation. Kaylee is heard saying, Maddie, what did you say to Adam? And Maddie responds, like, I told Adam everything. 
So way too many people assumed and spread rumors that this conversation was somehow related to the murders that would take place in just a couple of hours. But Kaylee's family, who have been tirelessly investigating every aspect of this case since day one, were able to find out that Adam, who was a bartender at the corner club and a roommate of Kaylee's ex-boyfriend, the topic the girls were discussing was Kaylee wanting to get back together with her boyfriend, Jack. Their five-plus-year relationship had recently been put on hold due to Kaylee's plan to move to Texas for a new job. The recent breakup had internet sleuths trying to point attention and blame at this ex-boyfriend for the savage crime, adding to the trauma he had and likely is still enduring. Maddie and Kaylee called a rideshare driver who police have identified and cleared for a ride home from the grub truck, and law enforcement can confirm that the girls arrived safely at their door at 1.56 a.m. The following day, at around 11.58 a.m., 911 received a call that was logged and dispatched as an unconscious person. This had also led to major speculation about what went on that morning and who found the bodies, how they died, where they were located. It was all very strange as the story broke. Now we can confidently say that in other cases where a dispatcher has a hard time getting details from the caller but requires the police to respond quickly, they will dispatch as an unconscious person to get the wheels turning in the right direction. I'm not saying that this is confirmed what happened here, but it's a viable explanation that would and should stop conspiracy theorists from spreading false information. The fact is, we don't know who made the call or any of the other questions surrounding the 911 call or the response. We do know that the call came from one of the surviving roommate cell phones and that there were other students and friends of the girls at the house at the time of the call. Yeah, and we're speculating just as other people do. So, I mean, I'm sure at times we're going to be saying unhelpful speculations as well, but it's just how you do it and how you come across with it um, and trying to be as respectful as you can. Absolutely. Um, So when the police arrived, they found a number of young adults and students standing outside the front door of the house. They were standing in silence, but one officer reportedly only heard one word, dead. It's also been reported that first responders got a heavy smell of blood when first entering the residence, which also led to unnecessary conspiracies. Like um, there were blood smeared all over the walls and running down the stairs. There was just a bloodbath inside. Um, Well, do we know that that is a conspiracy? conspiracy because like me it can be speculation but i think a conspiracy is a little different as well as like i mean it could it could be true i think some of those conspiracies that i was talking about are are um kind of deep reddit stuff where they were saying that the 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 frat um boys had something to do with it and they were writing on walls and smearing blood everywhere and it was just a horrific and unnecessary conspiracy theories. Yeah, and I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. So um, we know that the first responder entered the house no less than seven hours after the homicide, and that gives a lot of time for the body to do what naturally happens after our heart stopped beating. Putting it that way to save the gory details, but there were four bloody deceased people in that house for seven full hours before officers arrived. Over seven hours. Which, I mean, that does lead into the speculations and the harmful opinions of people on the internet, especially TikTok I've found on the roommates and why they didn't do more and how they could have done more and just everything surrounding that. And again, I think it comes down to like how 
how you discuss certain things like you got to put yourself in other people's shoes. And And I think that, I think that people are reading way too much into what DM actually heard and what she actually saw and what she could have perceived it as. I'm, I have a really hard time believing that she was um, in a frozen shock phase thinking, Oh my God, my roommates were just brutally murdered. I'm going back to bed. She probably, probably didn't even occur to her, but let's move on and we'll get to, we'll get to that after. Um, so the following will be taken directly from the probable cause affidavit because it best describes the scene as the officers entered and subsequently found these victims. The officers entered the house through the bottom floor on the North side of the building. They then walked up the stairs to the second floor, down the hallway to the west bedroom on the second floor, which we later learned um, through Zena's driver's license and other personal belongings found in the room was Zena's room. Just before this room was a bathroom door on the south wall of the hallway. Um, as they approached the room, he saw a body later identified as Zena's laying, laying on the floor. Uh, Zena was deceased with wounds that appeared to be caused by an edged weapon. Also in the room was a male that was later identified as Ethan Chapin. Um, he was also deceased with wounds later determined to be caused by sharp force injuries. But the probable cause affidavit does not identify where Ethan's body was located. Um, only that he was also in the room. People speculate that he was in bed or that he was on the floor, or in the hall, or in the bathroom. The only fact is that he was found in the same room that Zena was found. That is all we know for sure. Which recently, recently there was more information released that could determine that he was maybe just right outside the room as well. So if not in the exact same room, he was in the proximity of. Right. His girlfriend. And depending on what um, the police wanted public and yeah. and certain things they wanted to keep back could could very well be why they didn't say that Ethan was found first in the hallway, whatever. Totally. Um, we do get more into the newer um, information towards the end. So, mm-hmm. um, so then the police went up the stairs to the third floor. The third floor had two bedrooms and one bathroom. Bedroom on the west side of the floor was later determined to be Kaylee's room. They reviewed officer body cam, the first responder, and there was actually a dog in that room. Um, the dog belonged to Kaylee and her ex-boyfriend, Jack. Uh, they found out from an interview with Jack on November 13th that Jack and Kaylee shared the dog. So an officer then pointed out a small bathroom on the east side of the third floor. This bathroom shared a wall with Maddie Mogan's bedroom which was situated on the southeast corner of the third floor. As they entered this bedroom, officers could see two females in the single bed in the room. Both Kaylee and Maddie were deceased with visible stab wounds. Also later noticed what appeared to be a tan leather knife sheath laying on the bed next to Maddie's right side when viewed from the door. The sheath was later processed and had a K-bar, USMC, and the United States Marine Corps Eagle Globe and Anchor Insignia stamped on the outside of it. The Idaho State Lab later located a single source of male DNA left on the button snap of the knife, and this was the suspect's profile. As part of the investigation, numerous interviews were conducted by Moscow police, um, Idaho State police, detectives, uh, FBI agents. Two of the interviews obviously included the roommates, BF and DM. Both of them were inside the King Road residence at the time of the homicides, 
These are the surviving roommates, as mentioned before. DM was able to give a description of the unknown male leaving the residence at around 4.20 a.m. Autopsies were conducted on November 17th. Uh, the Lataw County coroner said that the four students were probably asleep when they were killed, but some had defensive wounds. The autopsy report said there were no signs of sexual assault. On November 19th, law enforcement asked the public to provide any video of the home the night of the murder. On November 25th, Moscow police asked local law enforcement to search for a white Elantra as they identified a vehicle of interest in one of the neighbor's security cameras in the area at the suspected time of the murders. And four days later, Washington State University, which is about 10 miles away, um, their police department found a white Elantra registered to a student there, Brian Kohlberger. This information was passed on to the Moscow Police Department. And meanwhile, on November 30th, hundreds of students gathered for a vigil in honor of the four students. Kaylee's dad said, and I love this, the only cure to pain is love. It's the only thing that's going to heal us. It's the only thing that's going to heal you. Mm. So nice. Yeah, it's nice. Um, police also asked the public on December 7th to be on the lookout, uh, that they were interested in speaking with a person in a white Hyundai Elantra seen in the immediate area during the early morning hours of November 13th. Moscow police searching for a Hyundai Elantra that had been seen in the area announced December 15th that they were sorting through registrations for 22,000 registered Elantras from the models, model years 2011 to 2013. That's a lot of Elantras. Yeah, I wonder how far they made it before they pulled them over. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Because you're talking, yeah, as well. Yeah, there's a lot. So law enforcement had been getting a bad rap from some of the victims' families as well as the public because they were not releasing any information. People assumed that looking for this car was the only lead they had and that the case was going cold. Little did we know, though, the police had a DNA profile back from the button snap of that sheath found next to Maddie. Uh, police just had to find a match, and it wasn't in any database. And I feel like we should talk about the Facebook profile. That that's coming, and I added some stuff, and I've got actually I've got oh, screenshots. You? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like I got it. The got sheath, it. bro. The sheath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay. So. Brian Kohlberger's Hyundai Elantra was captured um, by a plate reader in Loma, Colorado on December 13th and was queried by law enforcement in Hancock County, Indiana, twice on December 15th. Body cam footage of these traffic stops would be released to the public, and the footage shows the suspect in the driver's seat with his father in the passenger seat, sharing small talk with the officers during a stop for following too close and the other for, I believe, speeding. Um, these body cam videos led to even more help, unhelpful speculation that the suspect's dad knew about the murders, knew what his son has done, and was helping him try to escape the state. Maybe not escape the state, but I mean, you never know. You never know. But the new information has totally shone this whole thing in a different light, so we'll get into that later, like honestly. Maybe there's new information that I don't know, but like I know that Kohlberger had a drug abuse problem he he had no issues way. that his family would have known about 100 percent. which kind of gets into you know helping people yeah 
and mental health. Nice. I'm sure Um, everybody who is aware of this case has seen the body cam footage or seen a photo of it or something like that. You can't really hear what he's saying. At least I can't. I'm a little deaf, but I certainly couldn't hear. He was saying that they were going just up the road to get Thai food, blah, blah, blah. I can hear his dad. Like, yeah, we're going to Pennsylvania. We were at WSU and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Shut the fuck up, Dad. I actually wasn't going nowhere. I was just driving down this highway and just this highway. We're just going to get Thai food. The look on Brian's face is priceless when his dad says, yeah, we're we're on our way to Pennsylvania. We just left WSU. (laughs) His body cam videos led to even more unhelpful speculation that the suspect's dad knew about the murders, knew what his son had done, was helping him try to escape. Um, these rumors, in my opinion, are absolutely ridiculous. Brian Kohlberger wasn't even named as a suspect at that time. People theorized that the FBI had orchestrated those traffic stops to check for injuries to Kohlberger's hands and keep a close eye on them. These rumors are nonsensical. I cannot stress this enough, that if they thought Brian Kohlberger, if he was a suspect or even a person of interest at that time, they would have questioned him number one and if they thought he was fleeing the state they never would allowed him to leave and not just be and we're going to keep an eye on him do you know how many things can go wrong in a vehicle when you're traveling across the state they're not going to take that chance it's absolutely ridiculous to even theorize that they let him go just keeping a watchful eye on him getting him pulled over what in indiana he went to colorado for some unknown reason um, that's not even en route to Pennsylvania. He had to go something like three hours out of his way to go to Colorado on the 13th. But when he was pulled over in Indiana, that was two traffic stops within 15, 10, 15 minutes of each other. That is not the FBI keeping a close watch on him. They and never would have allowed him to drive across the country if they thought he was a viable suspect. They and just that's wouldn't. just another one of the speculations that like I haven't seen. So it must be like deep sleuth kind they're of the ones territory. that get me going the worst. It you just, I don't even sense. watch them. I don't even give them. I know. I can't. I can't. This is I the guy with the, I'm the, addicted. the spider, the spider web guy. I, I can't. I can't watch him. Anyway, not, go ahead. Because yeah. our whole podcast is going to be us speculating and saying our version and to expect that our versions are smart and theirs are stupid Mm -hmm. it's just it's a little rude but it's nonsensical for this one specifically it's nonsensical if they know anything about law enforcement and how they work and operate the fbi one for sure but the one right above it like you like every time you hear something they yeah, that's yeah. not something that you necessarily know as a fact. That is what you think. That's right. This is all my opinion. <laughs> the FBI has confirmed that they did not, nor did the ISP, orchestrate or request these traffic stops. And that's a fact. I did see that that's FBI right. you confirmation. Did. But the FBI one was never believable. That's why you, like, I don't watch all of the different video and podcast platforms that are just concerned with views and listeners and being the first to have clickbait. the news. It is clickbait. And but I clickbait can be true. It just heats me up. It's just theirs is so wrong. So <laughs> so disrespectful. <laughs> so dis- All right. Okay. So the next time we see the Elantra is on December 16th and it was seen on surveillance video in Albertsville. No, Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Uh, this is where Kohlberger's parents lived and where he apparently was just visiting for the holidays. Or so we thought there could be other information we'll get into. 
Um, backing up to the beginning of December, because WSU or Washington State University Police had shared the information about Kohlberger's Elantra with Moscow PD, they obviously started looking into him. As just another one of the 22,000 other registered Elantra owners they were looking at. Kohlberger's information hit differently, though. He was a PhD student in Washington at the State University in criminal justice. He had applied for an internship at the Pullman Police Department. His driver's license photo had his physical stats matching what DM had reported to have seen the night of the murders. Tall, around 5'11 or taller. Athletic builds, bushy eyebrows. So this made law enforcement very interested in Kohlberger's activities. And this is how they found out about the traffic stops in Indiana. Um, they applied for and were granted search warrants in December for historical phone records. His activity was interesting to law enforcement, to say the least. In months preceding the murders, Brian had been in the area of the rental house in Moscow no less than 12 times, and always either late at night or in the early morning hours. Suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say creepy. Law enforcement also saw sus activity on the cell phone data around the day and time of the murders. I won't go over all of this now, but I will link the probable cause affidavit in the show notes if anybody wants to read it. They needed to find this guy and get some DNA. And by this time, they had located Kohlberger at his parents' house in Pennsylvania and began to keep him under surveillance. The police had eyes on him 24-7, and eventually, on December 27th, they witnessed Brian taking a bag of garbage out at 4 a.m., Strangely, he did not take it to the garbage bin on his parents' property, but instead he walked over and placed it in the neighbor's bin. The so what did they find in the in the garbage? So, and I went looking for that specific information. Like, why did he have to throw it into the neighbor's bin? I don't know. I wonder if they found something else that we don't know. It's possible, but... Or I, it, was he just that smart? Was he like, if they are looking at me... He's a PhD me, in criminal... I know, yeah. but like, it, it, there's a fine line between smart and then... Like, okay, so you're just creepy and you knew. Yeah. Anyway, I think Same reason creepy. why he was wearing gloves. He'd go into <laughs> drugstores and stuff and he was wearing gloves. And Ugh. Just a creep. Gosh. Creep. Police grabbed the garbage bag and subsequently testing items from this bag, the results came back on December 29th showing that 99.9998% certainly that the DNA was discarded by the father of the person who murdered Ethan, Zena, Maddie, and Kaylee on November 13th. Any siblings? He does. He Brian Kohlberger has siblings? I believe he's got two sisters. Yeah. So why is he such a woman hater? <laughs> um, Something's wrong upstairs or maybe... We'll get into it a little bit. So and you I know some things that will maybe... Re is it the rejection that you're talking about? Um, yeah, and it kind of aligns with another story, but he's not to the mm. level of Elliot Roger, but we will get Are you talking it. about the girl who, like, invited him over from, like, the dating app? No. No, That's I'm a talking about one. the girl in, um, <laughs> what was it, seventh grade? I think he was 13 oh. that he was infatuated with, and some people say bears a strong resemblance to Kaylee. I personally don't see it, mm. but... Um, he was rejected when he was 13 years old by this girl, which, okay, I don't see how that can lead do to Do you know the girl that I'm talking about? I do, the one, the Tinder date. Yeah, what does yeah. she end up saying that he says oh, she had a fake good, sick? She's got <gasps> birthing. good birthing hips. Oh, yeah. <laughs> birthing hips. <laughs> it's so rude. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
So anyways, but we will get into uh, a little bit of his history here very, very shortly. So the question of why remains, though, obviously we won't know until the trial is done, but many people now think that this was a targeted attack and the main target was Kaylee. There were rumors and I think one story of her knowing about a stalker. Now, I'm not downplaying the possibility that Kaylee may have had a stalker, but my own opinion and theory is that Maddie was the target. Why? Now, it's my pure speculation, but hear me out. I believe that Brian met uh, Maddie at the Mad Greek. He was a vegan. Um, Mad Greek had good food. It was popular. It was only 10 minutes away from his house, and it served vegan pizza that apparently he liked to order. Um, I think he became infatuated with her, and he even tried to reach out to her in uh, direct messages on numerous occasions. That's the hey, 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 right? Yeah. Like, it, that's what he just said all yeah. the time, and she never replied. It was just hey. And I don't think that... Hey. No. So, and anytime I get a message from somebody that's not on my friends list, it goes to those message requests. And if I don't remember to check that area, I don't even see a notification. So the chances Sometimes of her even seeing it, she probably didn't even see it. True. But at the same time, was this on Instagram? I believe so, yeah. I'd like to think that you get a little less spam messages than Facebook yeah. on Instagram. but. I don't. I can't even tell you how many times that some random person has, yeah. and all my friends, and it's just it's the exact same thing. Hey, hey, hey! And if it's a really creepy person, eventually they'll be like, "F you." Yeah, <laughs> it's like I didn't say anything. Yeah. So needless to say, Maddie didn't answer him, and I believe she probably didn't even realize he was messaging her. Like honestly. Yeah. So, but. He could have taken that as rejection and sparked some kind of rage in Brian, causing Obsession. him to start yeah, stalking her. And I believe he went to that house to um, sexually assault and murder Maddie. I really do. I think that um, people Whose have- wounds were worse? Again, Maddie or Kaylee? Um, it was Kaylee, but hear me out. Oh, okay. Hear me out. And I, I mean, I don't want to get too, too specific in the details, but so that knife sheath, is designed to slide onto a belt. It's not like a snap or, or anything like that. You slide it onto your yeah. belt, right? So it's secure there. The Marines use this thing. Totally. So my head, my twisted mind, thinks that he had his belt undone just to make what he was going in that room to do go that much smoother. Yeah. He was not expecting Kaylee to be there. I see him maybe sitting on top of or straddling Maddie, um, murdering her, and having to reach over to disable and murder Kaylee. And I think that reaching and pulling the knife back could account for some of those gouging, tearing injuries that we heard about. And that sounds so horrible, and I don't want to talk anymore about it, but that's just in my own twisted mind. That's what I think. Um, yeah, and then when I think about it, I think usually, you know, if there's uh, more wounds if there's more to it you know they often look at you know boyfriends and stuff like that because mm -hmm. they say that that can come from an enraged yeah passion crime of passion yeah exactly yeah. but so, i don't think that that's what this could was. be I either think that one maddie was his target i believe that he wanted to take his time you with only message maddie yeah well speculation i can't say that but okay because if only read, maddie yes, i could definitely right. see that being his target because yeah. obviously that would be the one he's interested in yeah 
Um, I, I just can't wait till one day when we oh, actually man, get to either. know I cannot everything. Wait until all this comes out. Yeah. But I think, um, I think that when he left that room, he was bloody and he was flustered. He was not expecting Kaylee to be in there. Um, I believe that Murphy smelled the blood, the 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 air that was following um, Brian as he quickly left that room. I think that Murphy smelled the blood, and that's what caused him to start barking and heightened like hearing. Yeah. So he that's was probably right. just he was already probably yeah. stressed out, and then smelling that blood, he started freaking out. Mm -hmm. um, just like it said in the probable cause affidavit, that the dog was barking at some point. Um, meanwhile. Zena and Ethan were eating their Jack in the Box DoorDash order in bed um, that Zena had picked up at the door at 4 a.m. Um, Zena was scrolling TikTok while eating, but by 4.15, they finished with the food and took the bag. She took the bag to the kitchen and set it on the counter. Now, as she's coming out of the kitchen, the staircase coming down, um, I believe that she looked over and saw Brian Kohlberger coming down the stairs and he had blood on him. He had a mask on. He looked menacing. I think she got scared and ran into her room and said to Ethan, oh my God, there's somebody here. And I think that the tone of her voice probably made Ethan take her seriously right quickly. And he jumped up and that's how he just happened to come across that kind of hidden bedroom where you have to go down the hallway, through the living room, around the corner. Um, to she even find that bedroom. I think that he followed her in that way. And I think that that's um, unfortunately how um, Ethan and Zena were found. And I think that's why they were killed. It was all collateral damage. In my opinion, there was one target and I believe the target to be Maddie. Um, so, but now after he's murdered uh, Ethan and Zena without knowing that he was going to murder Ethan and Zena, now he's, super flustered and hyper-focused on getting out of that house. And so what does he do? He wants to get right back out to that kitchen sliding door. He probably didn't even notice Dylan standing in her doorway. And so, you're looking at like a two, three inch crack in the door. And I've done that too. When I'm in no danger and I'm awake in my room and somebody walks past, I don't want them to know that I'm awake. So I'm still, but I can still see what's going on. You say kitchen sliding door. I mm -hmm. thought that he entered through the second floor. That is the second floor. Yeah, that's the kitchen sliding door is on the second floor. I thought the main floor was the first roommate with the kitchen, the no. sliding door number one. The only second thing on floor. the first row on the first floor is yeah. the two bedrooms. Yeah, I gotta pull it up and look at it. Now I'm confused. There's okay, two so bedrooms on every floor. The okay. first floor, the main yeah, floor, the only floor. has two bedrooms. The main floor just has two bedrooms, mm -hmm. and this is laundry living room, kitchen, two bedrooms, and then Maddie and... Maddie um, and Kaylee on the third floor. Third floor. Okay. There's one that I will find. So this is the door right here? Oh, yeah. Because, no, that's what I thought. That's, that's the, the, kitchen, the second yeah. floor. That's the second okay. floor. Okay. Yeah. So I just didn't realize that the, that the kitchen was on the second floor. I figured it would be like a typical house yeah. kind of thing. Okay. I wish that they would call second floor the main... Uh, yeah. floor, but I get it now. And like I said before, I don't think that DM even knows what she saw or heard or knew at that time. Yeah. They're college students. It isn't out of the realm of possibility that she thought she just saw some guy in the house, gave her an uncomfortable feeling. He could have been with any one of her roommates. He could have been a friend of Ethan's. She didn't know. 
Um, she locked her door and went back to bed. Probably didn't even occur to her that this man had just murdered four of her friends. Um, this is my theory. It makes the most sense to me. But I yeah, and I'm not even going to, like, of course, I, I wonder what happened there. And I wonder exactly. I just want to know. But I'm never going to think that, like, I have that figured out. Like, I, I can't wait to know what happened, I guess. But with DM, mm-hmm. I just. So. Whatever she went through, obviously. And still is horrific. going through. It's just not even. She's going to go through that. it for the rest of her life. Probably ruined her life in a lot of ways. Totally. And it's going to continue to for sure. But mm-hmm. what she went through that late night, early morning, just. And then thinking back to what. Traumatizing. So after originally researching and writing this, another update was put out by Banfield on News Nation, um, confirming some of my theory. Um, Ethan had been found in the doorway of Xana's room with a slash to his neck. We do not know if this was his only injury, but my mind immediately goes to DM's account of hearing Zena or Kaylee say there's someone here. Obviously, I just said, could this have been Zena? As I speculated on our way back from taking the jack-in-the-box bag to the kitchen, she spotted the intruder coming down the stairs, ran to her room, told Ethan someone was there. Hearing this, maybe Ethan jumped up and went to confront the guy but only made it to the door where he tragically had his throat slashed. And where did we hear that she said there's someone here? If we have That was heard- in the probable cause affidavit. Or no, that was a DM heard that. And I, it was yeah. in the probable cause affidavit. That she had heard that? Yeah. Anything else about what she said in there? Um, all she heard uh, was moaning, crying. She heard a thud. She she heard what she Barking thought was, was Kaylee. playing with the dog. Playing with the dog. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to, like, I actually have the PDF of the probable cause affidavit, and we can link it to the show notes. People can just read it. Um, so another ter- terrible detail that recently came out is that Zena fought back hard. She had many defensive wounds, including from trying to grab the knife. Her hands were cut so badly that some fingers were almost severed. So heartbreaking, but I'm glad she didn't make it easy for this piece of shit. Um, maybe that fight is what got him so flustered and hyper-focused enough not to see DM's door open. Um, she probably saved DM's life if that's the case. Yeah. And when we start getting into the possibility of him having that Facebook page saying all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. one of the questions that he asks is why didn't, why did he leave some of the roommates, um, alive? Why was it because he was too tired? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) interesting that we're going there Mm -hmm. so earlier on um kaylee's dad had said that his daughter's injuries were different to those maddie had suffered more brutal in nature recently we've heard um on banfield again that kaylee's news nation that's what i was looking for banfield and news nation yeah that's i mean that's the network that banfield and then she's yeah, yeah, yeah so kaylee's injuries were more gouging than stab wounds so what exactly does that mean you said before, possibly the murderer was focused on or sitting on his intended victim and reaching with the knife to where Kaylee was. It's gory to think about, but my poor brain takes me to some what twisted my places. What my brain took me to or takes me to is that gouging and says stab, like if he had a point to make and he felt like it, it, to me in a twisted way, it almost makes me think that he was looking at her gouging. 
on purpose and taking the time to do hers, whereas he wanted to get Maddie over quickly. But the only thing I is agree, the messages and stuff. Not totally. just that, you know. Um, if that's the case, we know that DM was awake. She heard dog barking, blah blah blah. If you're being gouged, you're screaming. Unless you lost your breath. So a lung, if you got the lung. Yeah. This creepy dude who knew to throw his garbage out in the neighbor's bin. That's also horrific. So horrific. But I mean that's also how like officers think and stuff. Mm-hmm. So on December 30th, just after 3 a.m., Pennsylvania SWAT broke into the Kohlberger residence as loudly as they could. From what I've heard, they used smoke bombs and all, but who knows? Brian Kohlberger, age 28, was arrested and on a fugitive from justice warrant in Pennsylvania. He later waived extradition and was transported back to Idaho, where he was formally charged with four counts of first-degree murder and one felony burglary charge. Kohlberger appeared in court where he also waived his right to a speedy trial. Um, His next court date was set for June 2023. He has yet to enter a plea. This actually says a lot about this guy. Six months to even enter a plea of guilty or not guilty. Isn't that usually step one? I can't imagine what the families must be going through. This guy obviously has no empathy whatsoever to make the families wait for six months to even start this process. It's heartless. He truly reminds me of Ted Bundy in so many ways. Um, Speaking of which, let's talk about families. By now, most of you know that Zana's mom and Maddie's dad and stepmom have all been represented by the same lawyer who's now defending Brian Kohlberger. And I do wonder if somehow, was this a lawyer that he got or was this appointed? Appointed. How is that missed? Like, how many lawyers? The same way that... One of the public defenders yeah. in this county is the coroner. The same woman is, it's all. I mean, but this is it. like you represented multiple victims' family members, and you're telling me now that you are going to be somehow the lawyer, the attorney to Brian Kohlberger. It doesn't make any sense to me. And she's still proceeding with it because, and yeah, no, she's still proceeding with it. In fact, Zayna's mother found out via social media that this defense lawyer dropped her as a client in order to represent Brian. Oh, and did I say that this lawyer had recently taken power of attorney over Zayna's mother? Yeah. That's right. So wait, she dropped one of them to become Brian? Yeah. Yeah. I... And didn't even tell her. This woman found out on social media through friends. So this lawyer probably knew what she was doing. She wanted the high-profile case. And well, she's she was a- appointed to the case. So okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was appointed. She was appointed. Okay. So let's talk about conflicts of interest. It doesn't matter what these parents needed a defense lawyer for in the past or even what they were going through at the time their children were brutally murdered. What does matter is the fact that this defense attorney could have personal details about these families that could potentially be used to diminish Brian Kohlberger's responsibility for these murders. I don't know what it would be, but the fact is that she has got information on these families that no representative of the other side should have. It doesn't matter to me that this lawyer could be the only lawyer in the area who's approved to handle a death penalty case, which this is probably going to be, um, but bring someone else in. I understand Brian's right to have a defense. I do. And I want him to have a good one so that convictions aren't overturned on appeal um, due to poor representation or whatever. 
but this situation stinks of conflict of interest. And I understand that legally, it's not considered conflict of interest in that state, but morally, it certainly is. And I also get that she was appointed to this case. She did not ask for it, but it seems to me as though she wants this case for notoriety. Everyone will be watching the trial, everyone wants to see justice, and some lawyers get lost when staring straight into the eye of fame or infamy. Um, does everybody remember Jose Baez? Yeah. She should have recused herself by now. Obviously, this is my own opinion, but I'm telling you, to me, this is wrong on so many levels. My hope is that she will realize her situation and recuse herself, and soon. So now, let's get into this. Do we think that he is inside looking on Reddit or Papa Roger on Facebook? And do we honestly believe that Brian Kohlberger is an incel? Recent updates may actually suggest that Brian Kohlberger is sexist. And it we will get fully into that. suggests that he is sexist. 100%. And, you know, they're saying, well, I, I read so many comments on this because I wanted to see, like, what other people were thinking about the, the sexist and him being fired. Um, and they're like, well, why and how, if he was fired, did, like, all these students are saying that he just went on like a an a plus frenzy saying you get an a you get an a i'm marking all these papers and you guys are going to get perfect marks and that was women men anybody and it's like the timeline allows a couple of weeks past the murders that he was still there that he would have been grading those sheets mm -hmm. a plus a plus a plus but that doesn't mean that before the murders he didn't give women the f's and stuff that they are claiming that he did and is backed up by the fact and timeline that he was getting in shit <laughs> totally and i do have that timeline and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it here in a couple of minutes but um yeah so um but just as interesting to me is the spelling of the name papa roger who's uh who's okay. inside looking okay I have some screenshots here that I'm going to read to you. So Inside Looking was a user on a Reddit forum about the Idaho murders. Um, basically, he was either posting questions or answering certain questions. Um, one post says, Kaylee was not the target, in my opinion. Zaina and Maddie were targets. Look at killer's route inside the home. Kaylee being targeted doesn't make any sense. And then... Somebody else says the route through the house or the route into the second floor rear sliding doors. And inside looking says the killer enters the sliding door and exits the sliding door. If Kaylee, Maddie um, were targets, the path doesn't cross Zena and Ethan. If Zena and Ethan are the targets, the path doesn't cross Kaylee or Maddie. Ethan and Kaylee do not reside at the home. Therefore, Zena and Maddie must have been targets. That's what Ethan, or that's what uh, Inside Looking says. Okay, so another poster says, where's the dog kept in the house? I haven't figured out that piece yet, as they said the dog didn't impact the scene. Inside Looking says, not sure, maybe kept in Kaylee's room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, where was the dog found? Kaylee's room. Yeah, I'm just wondering, was that information already known before this person did no. it? Because eventually we kind of did know that. No. And then another one, Inside Looking, says Zena and Maddie were the targets, in my opinion. And then interestingly, another poster answered, yeah, okay, in my opinion. Hey, Brian. Like, what? 
Because one was five days before, so that would have been five days likely before the arrest. And then somebody said, yeah, okay, I am all, hey, Brian. And I'm guessing that's right after the arrest. And that's when people would have been speculating on inside looking being Brian. Mm -hmm. So they were very confident in their But as soon as Brian was arrested, all of these pages were taken down. These profiles were inactive. And that's confirmed for looking inside looking too? The Facebook one, like, I'm and convinced. And Inside Looking is gone, too. <laughs> um, so Inside Looking um, posted speculation, targeted and known to victims. Another poster um, responded, this is interesting. I'm at a loss then. It's not XBFS, roommates, frat brother, hoodie boy. The circle gets smaller. Still feels personal. Speculation. Someone... One of them was looking up or hooking up with someone from the restaurant. And inside looking responds, speculation, to clarify when I say known, it could be a small interaction to those best friends. Yeah, okay. Brian, no, I agree. So another one, inside looking, says four homicides is risky. Car near the house equals quick getaway. You pull up behind the house, go through the trees and enter from the back. Simple. Really? Uh, somebody responds, the statement you pull up behind the house contradicts your prior theory of them pulling up in front of the house. I'm confused. Inside looking responds, I said pulled up to the house in the previous statement. I didn't specify at the time if it was in the front or back, but it seems pretty clear which direction law enforcement pointed to. And we now know that that white Elantra was spotted behind the house in the parking lot behind the house. Um, somebody posted, describe the current mindset of the killer and inside looking responded, thrilled initially after the murders. Now some anxiety and obsessed with case information. Two killers, one knife, one killer, one knife. So somebody speculated there were two killers with one knife Yeah, and inside looking clarified there was no, one No, it was killer. just me and I only had one knife. Yes. Yeah. One killer, one knife. This is all inside. And this is everyone is capable of murder. Being convicted of murder is a separate thing. This is what makes me think that he is, that he has plans. Like, they're arrogant plans, but I think he fully expects for this to be thrown out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. It's all about the trial at this point for him. Totally. Um, So this was just a post made by somebody. Why did the killer choose that house? over all others in the area. Somebody goes into kind of a detailed um, description, house full of girls, house full of specific girls. It was a party house, location, right by a dark wooded area. Um, The distance from his own house, maybe. Just speculating. And then Papa Roger turns around and says, excellent. Um, (laughs) And according to some of the students where Brian Kohlberger was the teacher's assistant, that was his answer when somebody would um, give an answer that he appreciated the thought behind or they were getting close to what was in Brian's head, he would answer by saying, excellent. So you don't have the comment thread (laughs) for the sheath one, but I want to talk about it. And I remember it. So like, it's okay that we don't have it here. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So now we're moving to Papa Roger. Uh, Of the evidence released, the murder weapon has been consistent as a large fixed blade knife. This leads me to believe they found the sheath. 
This evidence was released prior to the autopsies. And that's Papa Roger. That's Papa Roger, the Facebook account. This leads me to believe they found the sheath. He didn't say a sheath. He said the sheath, for starters. And we're not reading verbatim the comments because we just don't have that in front of us. But I do remember the person arguing with him going, they didn't find a sheath. A sheath belongs on a belt. Like, this person's opinion was saying, like, there's no way that theory is correct. And Papa Roger was saying... (laughs) Hmm. Enlighten me. Like so cocky. Yeah. Like saying like and he knew. Yeah. And condescending because but he didn't need to he didn't need to get worked up. He was only making the other guy get worked up. He wasn't getting worked up because he knew the truth. That's right. He was That's just what taking all of survey. This to me. It just, oh, I know. It's just like his survey that he actually posted on Reddit <laughs> for his thesis or whatever. Yeah. All of the language and all of these it's posts from the inside thesis. looking and Papa Roger it's the exact same language used and he, in the post. And he's obviously trying to take those survey questions and that the argument in that comment section ended up getting creepy where Papa Rogers was suggesting things mm-hmm. and the the person he's arguing with literally ends up going like, what are you? You sound like a psychopath. Yeah. The way that you're talking to me right now, you sound like a psychopath. And then he says like, are you... You're making, are you suggesting that I'm the killer? It, it, like the fact that the conversation even went into that territory, it mm. was all because Papa Roger was just being freaking weird. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> and then this, we've seen this. We read this thread before police released about the sheath. So after police released that, and we knew that they had the sheath and they had the DNA on the sheath. That's when we were like, oh, my God, like Papa Roger is Brian Koberg. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Allegedly. Allegedly. But I truly believe so. (laughs) So, but let's look at the spelling of Papa Roger. To me, this is very interesting. The name is interesting. Um, As it relates to him being an incel, possibly. So, in case we don't know, Elliot Roger was an American spree killer who committed a rampage in Isla Vista, California, uh, in May of 2014. He is known as the Killer Virgin. He has a large fan base among those self-proclaimed involuntary celibate people. He would refer to himself as the ultimate gentleman. He blames all of his issues on girls not being sexually attracted to him. And we may cover this story at some point. But Elliot, from my understanding, was the most famous and first widely known incel. So the spelling of the name Roger matches Elliot Roger's last name. And Papa, is that a nod to Elliot Roger being the first? The king of the incels, as other known incels have called him? Did he maybe idolize? They were calling him Papa. Yeah. Yeah. I I believe so. Fully. It's too Um, good of a a coincidence. So that's why I believe it. So I wonder, did he idolize or even sympathize with this little douchebag? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it'll come up in trial, but maybe not. But it's uh, it's um, pretty sus. sus. It's pretty suspicious. That's <laughs> suspicious. That's suspicious. That's suspicious. Um, so another interesting update. Um, the defense responded to the prosecution's request for discovery recently, saying that they do not have anything for discovery as of yet meaning they don't have any evidence or in- of innocence or defense to the charges. This is very interesting. Yet they've got till June, I guess, so we'll see what's to come. 
And also the lawyer who represents Kaylee's family has asked the court to clarify or reconsider the gag order. From what I understand, they're wanting clarity on who the order applies to. Looking for ways to address some of the rumors, maybe? Um, personally, yeah. I think that these families should be able to talk about their children if they choose. Um, they know how um, releasing certain information could impact the prosecution, and I think they'd be able to stay away from that information. Um, talking and sharing is a huge part of grieving. And can you imagine what it would be like to hear news stories about your child's life or, or about the murder and not be able to address anything that's false or inaccurate? I can't. And that's just a, another uh, layer of yeah. trauma that these people are going through. And I think that there is also another side to this that, you know, that gag order could possibly be affecting them in a way of which that they don't know every detail of their children's deaths. And that's why, not mm -hmm. because they want to talk about it, but because they don't know fully what happened to their their little girl or mm -hmm. like Ethan's parents. Like I'm sure they want to know. And it, it, it's one of the two, if that's what they want to happen. It's either they want to know what, what went down, mm -hmm. or if they do know what went down, I could totally see myself wanting to talk about it to even extended family and stuff like that yeah. just to let them know because but when when there's a gag order they have to be so careful and be so sure that they don't tell anybody anything mm -hmm. so yeah i get that it. could be hard it's like it's, it's just a really heavy weight yeah but kaylee's family also um they've been very open and honest and very smart when it comes to their investigation um, they've actually been able to correct the police and the timeline and stuff oh, like I've that. Seen the I mean, it's yeah. really impressive. And they seem like um, the type of family that would kind of, because when it's not in your face, I think we get really desensitized and it's really easy to talk dirt and, and, and throw all these speculations and cruel theories out there. And they're more like the family that would be able to stand up and say, you know what, say it to my face. You know, if you have something to say, if you have a question, let me answer it. And right now they're they're literally being gagged that they cannot stand up for themselves or their their daughter. And there's their a daughters. couple of them that don't even think speculation is harmful because mm -hmm. they speculated themselves because they almost believed or at least the sense that I got is that they believe, yeah, let's let's speculate and figure out what went on here. Yep. Like what happened. Yep. Because they didn't feel at the beginning, obviously, that police were doing everything. No, because the police weren't telling them anything. Exactly. And, and I understand that. I do. Me too. I totally Boy. do. But at this point, I don't think that, I think not letting them talk is doing more harm than good to their own process. You know? I think maybe right now they're not going to appreciate it as much. But if it plays right in the trial I think in the long run, it will be possible that they will be grateful for how the police handled it. Maybe sure. one day. And if not, then that's that's something that police have to live with every day is mistakes that they may make. And mm -hmm. same with um, DAs and stuff like that. So yeah. I can't imagine having those jobs. So No, and I mean, I never... I never will knock on wood. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm probably never going to be in their situation. Um, I, but I can't imagine my heart goes out to them for sure. Um, so, uh, finally, um, news also broke last week that, uh, Brian Kohlberger was fired from his job as a teacher's assistant for behavioral problems. 
Banfield reported on February 8th that they received information from a source close to the issue that within just a few weeks of starting his PhD program at WSU, Brian displayed behavioral issues that include sexist comments and unprofessional conduct. The university's documented timeline of the issues are as follows. So on December, or sorry, September 23rd, an altercation with a professor who I believe's name is Dr. Dr. Snyder. Um, And then on October 3rd, there was a meeting to discuss his professional behavior. On October 21st, uh, he received an email about failure to meet expectations. November 2nd, meeting to discuss his improvement plan. Obviously, then we've got the murders. 11 days later, the murders happened. November 13th, yeah. Uh, December 7th, there's a meeting to discuss the improvement plan progress. December 9th. A second altercation with Professor. Um, throw in here a few days after that, Brian leaves, drives to Colorado, and then to Pennsylvania with his dad. And as per comments and stuff, this is when, so the 11 days after the murder happened, that would have been when he would have allegedly been giving good grades Better out. Better grades, yeah. And, and a little just, bit more laid back. Yeah. So yeah. some people don't believe this timeline. Like, I read the comments. There are some people who... They do not believe it, and that was their main reason. They were saying, well, how could he have been grading papers if he was fired? There is time for him to be doing that. I mean, that's still their opinion, I'm sure. But to me, both make sense, Mm -hmm. and the timeline fits it all. Mm -hmm. And then on uh, December 19th, he was officially terminated. So let's keep in mind that on December 19th, none of us knew uh, the name Brian Kohlberger. Um, So for... Anybody who started speculating that he was fired because he was a person of interest in this case, um, I don't think that that's accurate because his name wasn't out there yet. Um, It's possible because it was the Washington State University police that originally found his car and gave that information to uh, Moscow. And we know that Moscow was looking into him and was probably at the university to do some questioning and investigating on him. Yeah. But we don't know if that ever happened. All we know for sure is that his name wasn't publicly known connected to this case whatsoever until literally New Year's Eve or New Year's yeah. Day. Yeah. And I th- I think that it is fully his being fired was fully connected to the case, just not in the way that some people would speculate saying, you know, they found out about it. It's more so his behavior started to change when mm-hmm. he started to become maybe allegedly a stalker. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe some sleepless nights, not eating as much. Um, you know, there was one student that testified to say that he lost even more weight in the weeks arriving to the date of the murders. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. There was, she was she was obviously at the college. Mm-hmm. And she said that she only had a couple of, that he would grade her papers. Um, so, like, he would have been a TA to her. Yeah. To her class or whatever that may have been. And she said, yeah, she noticed physical appearance changes in the weeks hmm. approaching what the murder would have been. I watched that just the other day. And if that's the case, that would affect his temper. And going back to something you said earlier that uh, Brian was at one point in his life addicted to heroin. Um, And a lot of people think that that is 
how he lost his weight because apparently he was bullied and he was a heavier kid up until a certain point. And then he started working out and he was addicted to heroin and he became a lot thinner and um, more fit, took boxing and actually became the bully. Um, but I heard, I believe it was yesterday, I just heard that um, this thing that he claims to have had in some of his posts as a preteen and young teenager, he was posting about his depression and how yeah. he's, he's empty and doesn't feel anything. But he also mentions having this what's called visual snow. And according to this article that I read, um, one of the cures for visual snow is um, fitness and diet. So this is when he became vegan. This is when he started working out a lot. And this is how he kind of lost weight. Um, but then, like I said, the other side of it is there were people who have come forward who know for a fact that Brian was addicted to heroin. So yeah, and day, I who mean, knows? And who knows if any of it has anything to do with with the murders or, or where he's at now? I think it has to do with his arrogance. Mm -hmm. So he he had an opportunity where he left high school, he left the drugs. And once you start empowering yourself to the degree that your arrogance is like that, it's like, okay he's going to be able to stick to a vegan healthy lifestyle because healthy body, healthy mind. I think at all, probably his arrogance really helped him probably push that almost obsessively, yeah. obsessively. I think that's the perfect word for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is the absolute latest on the case. So, uh, uh, so any updates, we will be sure to update here on true crime story. So let's put a bookmark on this one for now. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you never know what someone else is going through or dealing with. Some speculation can be hurtful, so be kind. And if you do hurt someone, remember to take accountability. It goes a long way. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. And if you need to contact us, feel free to reach out to us via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm Char. Until the next chapter. Bye. Bye.